I've often thought that one of the things missing from chapel was the theme music for the preacher to come... (laughs) My daughter suggested that tune. Uh, I'll only be preaching one sermon this year. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie. I watched that movie uh, in the summer holidays and uh, uh, my wife took me along. It was great... Uh, it's a, it's a feel-good movie. Uh, it's a great story, the story of social outcasts who are the rejected ones, but they rise up and take their place. They take honour. It's a story of the despised ones saying, here I am, look at me, this is me. And it's great and it's empowering and there's something wonderful about it, isn't there? where victims become uh, honourable and they take pride in who they are. And the song captures that sentiment. It captures the heart of the great, uh, that great life project, that life is actually all about me being the best me that I can be. Others have to take me on my terms. Isn't that what life is all about? the great life project that has at its heart my flourishing. Against all the odds may be that I would flourish, that I would march to the beat that I drum. Now already people are getting a little nervous. I can see the squirming around. That's okay. We know that, in fact, the Christian life is not all about me, really, don't we? It's about you, clearly. It's... It's... No, it's... It's not all about us. We're, we're Christians, so we, we take this great story and we give it a Christian colour, a Christian flavour. We add Christian ethics and Christian values. And so we've still got a great drum beat, but it's just it's a different story, isn't it? And so as a Christian, uh, I know that actually if I truly want to flourish, that this is the way that I will flourish best if I do it God's way. So it's a different shape, it's a different flavour, it's a different colour, but it's the same drum beat and I'm still being the best me that I can be. It's just that that me is a Christian me and I can rise up and I can achieve great things. In fact, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, can't I? That's the goal, the drum beat, the point of life. But what if it's not? What if it's not? What if there's actually something more fundamentally wrong with the project? I mean, what happens if I don't flourish? What if my flourishing 
isn't actually the right goal. What if following the Lord Jesus means more than tweaking the plan a little bit? More than recolouring or reshaping the humanist agenda? What if the best me that I can be is frankly setting the bar too low? I've seen something in God's word and this morning I want to know if you see it too because if I'm right, uh, this rolls a grenade into the quiet cafe that is our thought world and it explodes the agenda that is all around us. Uh, This morning we're going to continue our sermon series in Colossians 3. Now, I know you've got a lot of other things on your mind at the moment, and the last sermon we had in this series was nearly two years ago. Uh, so it's possible you've lost the thread. Uh, let me recap a few things. Um, in the first two chapters, um, Paul has shown us that Jesus is the Lord of everything in heaven and earth. He's the Lord of everything, this side of the grave and the other side of the grave. Jesus is the Lord over every spiritual power and principality, every philosophy, every tradition. And not only is Jesus the Lord over every spiritual force, but in him we have every spiritual blessing. And this idea of being in Jesus, being in him, so aligns us with Jesus that in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul can say that we died with Christ. Uh, But as the Demtel man says, wait, there's more, it gets better, and so we get to chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, 
whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving and liberating word. Uh, We thank you that your word is alive and active, that it cuts us to the quick. And we pray, Father, that your word would do its work this morning. Uh, Indeed, Lord, we pray uh, that we might come to know what it is to live a life raised with Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that where we have other ideas, where we hold on to other attachments that lead us away from the good things which you've promised, Father, we pray that we would flee from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, who are you and what is your life's project? I wonder if you can see how radically different the Bible's teaching is here to the world and even the Christian world that we inhabit. So even though I know at some instinctive level that singing out, you know, this is me, is not kosher, it kind of feels right. It feels comfortable. It feels like the kind of thing I actually want to sing, if I could sing. It appeals to me. It's a message I'm comfortable with. So we long to be treated by others on our own terms. I am an individual after all. And I have the right to define myself, don't I, in any way that I choose to. As Christians, we might even make a theological argument that I've been created to be the me that I am. And it's actually part of being honouring to God that I be the best me that I can be. But the interesting thing about this passage is that Paul argues not from our creation but from our redemption, that this is where we draw our identity from and our purpose of life from. And it's not just our redemption, it's more pointedly still from our Redeemer. See, we've not only died with Christ, chapter 2.20, but we've been raised with Christ here in verse 1. And in verse 12, we're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, forgiven in verse 13. And this is not something that we will be one day. This is what we are now. Raised, chosen, holy, Dearly loved, forgiven. Is that how you'd describe yourself? Is that how others would describe you? That's a raised one, a chosen one, a holy one, a dearly loved one, a forgiven one. Dearly loved, maybe, but what about the rest? Now? There's a mystery about this, isn't there? A hiddenness about our identity. In verse 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. One day Jesus returns and it'll be plain to see then we will appear with him in glory. But until then our true identity is actually not obvious. Our identity is fundamentally changed but not obvious. What God's word is saying to us this morning is that we ought to live up to the identity we have. We're not trying to march to the beat that we drum. We're marching to the beat of a different drummer and 
Importantly, we're recognising that we are not the drummers. I am not the sum of my thoughts or actions or achievements. I'm not defined by them. I'm raised with Christ and my life is now hidden with his. My life is hidden with the one who is the Lord of everything. Is that you? Is that who you are? At the most fundamental level, do you get that that is who you are? So we can bust our humps trying to convince everybody else that we're valuable. We can try and define ourselves by our great list of achievements and accomplishments. We can, we can say to the world, look out, here I come. We can pour everything we have into that great project of being the best me that I can be. And we can even do it as Christians. So if we put a Christian flavour on it, we can rack up the impressive speaking gigs, the publishing deals. We can pad out the CV. We can know just the right way to do the right thing in front of the right people to look very impressive. And we can plan out that ministry career. And I just want to say, that even if all of those dreams come true for you, you will never be better than raised with Christ. What are you striving for? It'll never compare to being chosen and dearly loved, forgiven, made holy by God. See, the whole project is actually misguided. The whole project misses what a wonderful thing it is to be in Christ, to have your identity bound up with him. But what does it mean? I mean, what does it really mean? What does it look like? Before I sit down, I want to answer two questions. One is, what does it look like? And the second is, how do you do it? What is it to live in Christ? What does it look like and how do you do it? Three things about what it looks like. First, the person whose identity is bound up with Christ will put to death the sexual immorality that belongs to this world. Pick it up from verse 5, Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of such things as these. See, verse 5 is not just, it's a series of words that relate primarily to sexual sin. Maybe not entirely, but primarily, that's their focus. It's not just the acts of sexual immorality. More than that, it's the, it's the thought world that breeds those acts. The lust, the insatiable desire for more and more, the pleasures, the experiences, more extremes. Um, this is so characteristic of our present day, isn't it? But we didn't invent this stuff. It's always been around. What's different? Well, the sexual desires, the fantasies that just a generation ago, even those involved in them you know, had the good sense to never speak about it in public, 
those things are now broadcast into our living rooms at 8.30 every night. The normalisation of the radical, the pornographic, and the radicalisation of the normal. How dare we say that sexual relationships between a husband and a wife in marriage is normal, that that's the way it should be? How dare we say that? Who gives us the right to say that's normal? What's normal is what I see on my TV, isn't it? Isn't that what's normal? See, for the Colossians and for us, sexual immorality of all kinds is part of the air we breathe, the current that we're carried along with and, and frankly, the water is warm, isn't it? It seems normal. The lust, the adultery, the images of naked bodies writhing about, the group sex, it's all... The guys at Netflix tell me that this is what I should be watching. It says, recommended for you. (laughs) It's normal. And the Bible says that's how dead people live. That's how you used to live, but leave the dead stuff dead. Because do you know who you are? You've been raised with Christ. And you're made alive in him. The wrath of God is coming and you've got to get your head out of the poison trough, put it to death and seek the things that are above. What will it look like to have your life bound up with Christ? Firstly, put sexual immorality to death. Secondly, take off the old self. We pick it up from verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See the series of words there? Anger can happen instantly. Rage builds up. Malice is what happens when our anger is allowed to fester and simmer in the background. And if we allow our anger and our bitterness to fester in our hearts, then what comes out of our mouth is just as ugly. Slander, filthy language, lies. We'll talk about people behind their backs. We slander them, tell lies to and about others. What will it look like to have your life bound up with Christ? Firstly, put sexual immorality to death. Secondly, take off the old self. Thirdly, put on the new self. The new self, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I wonder if you notice there that all of the things we are to put on, that we're commanded to do, are social things. Do you see that? You can't do them on your own. You can't have compassion 
You can't be kind, you can't be humble, you can't be gentle, you can't be patient, forgive or show love without reference to another person. They're actually communal things. It's part of the reason the whole monastic movement is so way off. Christians aren't supposed to live in splendid, holy isolation. We are made for community, to be with other people. You cannot obey these things. You cannot put these things on unless you are. And we can tell from the context too where Paul sandwiches these instructions between verse 11, which is about all of the great uh, divisions of the ancient world, and verse 14, which finishes with love binding all these different people together in unity, that it's, it's actually about being together with others, specifically with others who are different. What will it look like to have your life bound up with Christ? Firstly, you put sexual immorality to death. Secondly, you take off the old self. Thirdly, you put on the new self. But how do you do that? That's my second question, my last question. How do you do that? You and I are so conditioned, I think, by the drumbeat of the world that we live in that you may not have yet picked up on just how badly I've dealt with this passage. Have you noticed? I don't want you to call it out because you'll probably think of things that I think I got right. That's, that's, not, that's not what I want to do. Uh, but, I mean, let me take you through it again. Uh, as I'm talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, you're thinking about yourself, aren't you? You're thinking about that self. Me as an individual. And how you have to kill off the immoral thoughts in your own head and put off the anger and malice and filthy language coming out of your mouth and about all of the behaviours that you have to put on and maybe you're quite disappointed I haven't given you any tips about how to do any of that yet. And you're saying, well, here comes the tips. Here we go. So that you can transform your life. Because this passage is all about you, isn't it? But again, can I ask, what if it's not? What if it's not about you or me being the best individual that we could be? What if being raised with Christ is a more radical reality than that? What if the whole project is not actually about you at all? What if the real grenade in the cafe this morning is that every you in this passage would be better translated, and I'm not one of the Greek guys, he can correct me later, but I think it would be better translated as use, or use all, or in deference to our American friends, y'all. In fact, the new self here includes Gentiles and barbarians, Scythians, it's a self that includes tribes and nations. The new self is not an individual. It is a new humanity. And so the most important thing I'm going to say about how we are to live as those who are raised with Christ is that we must not think we do this alone. We have to stop thinking uh, or stop obeying our individualistic impulses and hear just how good and liberating God's word is here. How do you do it then? 
How do we live as raised ones? Let me step you through it from verse 1. Set your hearts on things above. Verse 2, set your minds on things above. It's more like seek or chase after the things that are above and keep thinking on them. Dwell on them. Desire and dwell on the things above. Pursue and persist in following the things above. I wonder how do you go maintaining your focus on the things above in the quiet moments by yourself? I mean, if I was to give you a bit of time now to just quietly dwell on the things above, how long do you reckon you'd last before another thought came and then another thought and then you forgot what it was I asked you to think about? It's a wonderful thing to do. In fact, I'm sure we'd all be better off if we spent more time doing that in quietness by ourselves, thinking about the realities of the new heavens, the new earth, thinking about those things which are holy and pure and good and right, thinking on the Lord Jesus. But this passage does not assume that we are trying to do this quietly on our own at all. We've already noticed, in fact, haven't we, that you can't possibly obey the commands here on your own. You can't put on the clothings, the virtues, except in reference to others. This is a life that is meant to be lived out together with others. Listen to the end of this passage. See what else we're supposed to do together from verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful... Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you are raised, holy, chosen and dearly loved, but day by day you may not feel the weight of that. You may not feel the reality of that. You may need brothers and sisters to remind you of it and that's what this is about. So we're constantly bombarded with messages from a world that's obsessed with its own importance where every single one of us is supposed to be the best me that I can be, giving glorious expression to my own individuality and no one can get in our way and we need to hear the beat of a very different drum. You know, I am so glad uh, of the sisters and brothers that point to the truths of God's word in music for me. I'm glad for those who write the music. I'm glad for those who sing and play the music. I'm especially glad when it's so loud that I can join in and nobody notices. It does me good and it's meant to. It's meant to. We are wired to work together in this kind of way and part of our dwelling on the things above is that we do it together and we do it as we remind one another of the word of God and we sing together and we're meant to do it together. I'm so grateful to the blokes after um, church that I meet with week by week. Uh, uh, After church we we grab a cup of coffee and we, we stand around and talk and Often an hour, an hour and a half will go by before I realise that Margie's waiting for me again because 
we're talking about what was in the, in the sermon or we're talking about the passage that we read or we're talking about what a difference it would be to live as a Christian in my workplace. How do I tell my friends I've got this problem? Uh, how can I be bold in sharing the gospel with the people that I know? We're, we're talking about those things after church and you know what? It's exactly what Colossians 3 is talking about because you don't dwell on the things above on your own mostly. You do it in fellowship with other people. And it is wonderful and praise God that it's like that. Do you have that? Do you have those people who will spur you on to think about the things that are above? Just keep your dwelling in that. We need help, don't we? I'm so grateful for college here, for the dozens of opportunities every day that you and I have to speak the word to one another, to dwell richly in God's word together. Isn't it an amazing privilege to do it with one another? The lunchtime conversations that help me rejoice in the goodness of God, the classes that remind me of who we are in Christ and what he's promised us. Even marking essays, there can be moments. (laughs) Don't let me down, third year. There can be moments, even in the middle of that, when someone will remind you of the goodness of God by drawing my attention back to his word, back to the Lord Jesus. We dwell richly in the word of Christ. How do you do it? How do you do it? Well, you put to death sexual immorality, you put off the old self, you put on the new self, but you recognise it's something we do together. It is fundamentally a community activity. It is a body activity. It's what we do for one another, with one another. We carry one another's burdens. We help one another. We spur one another on to love and good deeds. We do it with one another. That's why... Here at Moore, we want you to study full-time in community because that's how you come to know God. That's how you live as one of his people. In verse 11, do you notice the new self, the new humanity, the people of God is raised, chosen, holy, dearly loved. The forgiven ones of God are being continually renewed in knowledge in the image of their creator. That's why you study theology together. Knowing God transforms his people. We learn to walk to the beat of a very different drum. See, living the raised life is not something we're meant to do on our own. We're meant to do it and learn more about it and be encouraged in it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for who you are and who you've made us to be. We thank you that we have not only died with Christ but been raised with him. And we thank you, Father, that we look forward to an eternity where we'll have no more battles with sexual immorality, no more battles with the sins we have to put off. But we pray, Father, between this day and that, that we would bear with one another, spur one another on, teach one another, rebuke one another, correct, train, guide one another. And we pray we do it all to the glory of Jesus. Amen.